I need to know everything Who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But act like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George I hop in the Porsche with five and a horse I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws To turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you be surprised at the info you get Is by letting them talk So I'm letting them talk Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science to let them and talk up their body Hello and, and body. welcome, JK Plus One. I am not your host, PTF. He, he said he was uh, sleeping in today because he was getting ready for the TRF barbecue. So I guess he's still in bed. It's midday. Must be nice. I am your host, Jonathan Kinchin, and uh, I got a fun guest today. One of my dear friends, Pete Rotundo Jr. There's a senior out there, but uh, I got Jr., uh, from horse player fame, from the Breeders' Cup, uh, from uh, first now. And we, we hear some of his stories of growing up in the backyard. It's a ton of fun. You'll enjoy it. Uh, love Pete. Pete's one of those guys that people in racing, they, they see him all the time. And, but he's been a lot of behind the scenes in his career. And, and uh, horse players, obviously, he was front, front facing, but it's, it's always good to catch up with him. want to thank our friends at Qatar Racing. Um, and, uh, and, and hopefully they got some, some stuff lined up for us here to wrap, uh, wrap up the end of the meet. And, uh, we'll be catching up with, uh, actually going to catch up with Sheikh Fahad tomorrow night for dinner. So hopefully I'll have some stuff to, to report back, uh, about Qatar racing. So, uh, let's just jump right into it. We, we've got Pete for a little over an hour, uh, to talk about his life in racing and uh, a little bit about what uh, he's got going on here at first and what he was doing at Breeders' Cup, my buddy. Pete Rotundo. Pete, what's going on? What's happening, JK? Oh, uh, you know, I, I, uh, it's just, it's, it's, I told, uh, Pete Fornatel uh, a little bit earlier, we recorded something before I hopped on with you and I said, it, it's, it's winding down. He's like, what's up winding down? It's almost trials. Like, dude, it's winding down. Like, I'm not saying that, that, that it's not, we still don't have some things to accomplish, but it's winding down. I know what a long run, right? I mean, it's like you forget the grind that it that is Saratoga during this meet. I was, um, you know, I was looking at the date. I mean, it's August twenty second. It's like opening day over here was like July. Was it July thirteenth or something? It's like we've been going at this for for five weeks already. Well, we're at this point now. We're like when I'm handicapping or we're on the show or whatever, and they show a replay of a of a horse that ran opening weekend. It feels like it was last year. <laughs> Well, for you, especially because you're out there, you know, you're every day having to be on the air and, and look presentable and sound smart. I don't know how you do it. How, how what is your what's your what is your kind of your Saratoga schedule now? Like what I know that you've will get into the history of, you know, basically being an everyday or are you an everyday or now or do you have a couple of days you try to protect for work? Well, work, you know, obviously, um you know, I'm working, right? So I'm working with, uh, with Aiden and first racing, right? So I'm usually Monday, Tuesday, I'm at, the, I'm home at the computer the whole time. Wednesday through Friday, I try to get to the track for the late pick five. Um, and you know, where I sit in the backyard, we have, uh, outlets. So I literally could plug in the phone and the computer and just sit there. And it's as if, you know, like anything else, I'm just like, I'm anywhere. So I'm always plugged in and it's a perfect spot. It's my favorite place as far as, you know, being in that backyard for, for uh, seven, eight weeks a year, you know. Well, speaking of the backyard, uh, for, for a lot of people that don't know, um, you are affectionately referred to, you and your crew, your dad, Lee, are affectionately referred to as the pounders by the Matisses. 
because of the way that you roll up the paper and cheer and pound. We'll get into the, the history of that. But it's also funny to me that like, you know, I met you guys in like different arenas. Like I met you more like behind the scenes, professional horse racing. I met them of, of like players, but you guys have been basically sitting in the same spot for a very, very long time together, but you didn't really know each other. You met each other at the spot. Yeah, exactly. No, when I was, I've been coming up since I'm four months old, right. When I was living in, you know, grew up in Staten Island and I was living in Manhattan for a while, but I would have come up for fun, obviously as a fan, since I'm, since I'm a baby. And we had one spot for about 10 years back there. And then we moved over to a, to a bank of TVs, actually right next to the, uh, the spot we're in right now, which is right next to the, you know, the big red spring. And then about 10 years later, we moved over and then, yeah. So we bought, we merged in with the Matisse brothers, Figsville, as you know, they're affectionately known. And Paul, of course, is one of the coolest, smartest, interesting guys. I mean, that exists, right? I mean, the guy is so sharp. And he, as you know, he writes these recaps every day of what goes on over there. And he nicknamed us the Pounders. So I'm Peter Pounder Jr. Uh, Pounder Sr. is my father. And then Lee Pounder uh, is, is Lee. So we got Team Rotundo. And now I got the babies. So it's Rose E. Pounder and Sienna Pounder. <laughs> Does Shona have a Does Shona have a pounder nickname? Shona, yeah, well, Shona, before she was a pound, I mean, she showed up before she was quote a pounder, right? So, so to speak. So she is Shona dots because she used to wear these polka dots every day uh, for a night for a couple of weeks. And Paul, as you know, picks up on these things. Uh, so yeah, he's she's Shona dots. It's funny. It's a behind the scenes thing that I, I don't know if we talked about this area before, but like for for those who are just listening, so there's like a private message board that. Paul has um, and, and and the Matisses have and every day at the end he recaps the day and writes it like a big journal and like literally says everything that happens so and so was making fun of so and so about his shoes and kept calling him this so and so went to go get Shake Shack but didn't give us any change and like tells a whole story and then he tells everyone who comes by if you stop back by there he'll mention that you stopped by and if you're a member of the board he says you know the members and the people that did and it's it's really it's really hilarious. And it's also a great thing that he does for everyone to be able to look at. And uh, I don't know how the hell he remembers all that stuff. No, it's it's the most insane thing ever. I mean, and it's yeah, it is nice if you're not there. It's a way to keep up with what happened. Um, and he just I mean, you know, for example, like here, FigCom members noticed in Figsville. Yabo, Troop, Yabo, Trooper, Chick, Pounder Junior, Pounder Senior, Greenspan, Battler, Telray, Bobo, Duke, Johnny B, Walnuts, Peyton, Who's Aunt? Boss man, Paul, off the hook, Joe. And then fig.com moments noticed in Figsville and then other people and who people have stopped by. And he's got nicknames for every single person. Uh, her drinking pals, Dr. Amanda, Val the nanny, which is the, Rosie's nanny. You know, a ton of pounder visitors. Off the hook, Lindsay, off the hook, daughters. The grand <laughs> salami brothers. The odd couple who only comes this week. I mean, like, they go on and on. 70s mustache, Tony. I'll leave you with that one. 70s mustache, Tony. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's the truth. So anyway, for, for everybody out there, it's a, you know, come one, come all. We're right next to the Big Red Spring, essentially. Uh, the, the last bank of TVs that, that are around and purple, obviously identified by the purple tablecloths. Um, thanks to Who's Aunt for getting them every morning. Lots of travers under your belt, I'd imagine. You've been, like you said, you've been, you've been coming since. Now, did you guys? What would you guys do? Let's before we get to the travers. 
So did your dad, did you guys just like come up for the day? Did you drive up? Did you stay the night? Did you come for the whole meet? Like what would, how did you guys do it? Yeah. So my father came for the first time in the seventies. I think I came, obviously I was born in 1975. So um, he would come up at some point, there was a stretch. We would come up for like a week uh, and then it would come up for maybe two weeks or then we would come up for like, you know, depending on the year with his work or whatever, you know, a couple of weekends here and there. So it all, it all sort of, changed every year until I got, you know, working. And then I was up there, you know, weeks at a time. And then, um, you know, now I live here, but yeah. So it was like, it, it was home away from home. And, you know, the, the city is, you know, anywhere you go as a kid, right. You show up, you go downtown. It's just, it's just that feeling of, of it's nostalgic, right. It's like, you remember how happy you were as a kid and now to be here all the time, uh, it's awesome. I mean, there's just no, there's no two ways about it. Um, as long as you know, as long as you can travel, because it does, it does after the meet's over, you know, you're, you're ready to start moving again. Now you, you've, you, so you started as a fan, but then you, you, you started working in racing and basically your professional life has been in racing. What, what was the, I mean, what was kind of your origin story with your career in racing? So real simple, I, you know, I go to the track every weekend with my father, right? We went to Belmont, we went to Saratoga, we went, um, you know, obviously Aqueduct. I spent many, many weekends at Aqueduct as a kid with my grandparents. There was a priest there, there was Herbie, there was all these old, old men and, and, and me. So uh, we hung out there. And so I knew I loved it. I just didn't know what I wanted to do in the game and then seriously i know it sounds it's probably heard this story cliche-ish but in the program there was a racetrack industry program ad that and then harvey pack used to talk about it on his show and i was like oh my god i gotta go here i was like how cool is this like this is a, you can have a degree in racing basically so long story short i went to seton hall for two years in new jersey transferred to the u of a got my four year well, i was only there a year and a half but i figured out a way to get a four-year degree and uh and that's how it started. And then what, what was your, was DRF, was that your first? Yeah. So Mandy Minger, um, who, uh, you know, was one, is one of the greatest ladies of all time. She hired me basically out of school. It was a gentleman named Paul Cornman that used to be a big New York uh, horse owner. And he was on, he actually used to be on TV. He used to do the, before there was talking horses, like, you know, uh, before each race. He uh, he connected me to her. And yeah, so I started in customer service for the DRF in 98. And then uh, and then the NTRA had just launched um, and they had a New York office. So long story short, I went with them. They merged with the Breeders' Cup on an operational merger. So I was working for both. And then I fell out on the Breeders' Cup side for uh, almost 20 years. Customer service. What were people calling you saying? Oh my God. It was hysterical. <laughs> so basically they would call, I would have a lot of old guys calling me and asking me what the new symbols meant in the racing form. And I would have to talk, you know, I talked to them for hours at a time. Some of these guys, cause there was like, I mean, imagine that was my job to explain the DRF to some people. I mean, how cool. I mean, <laughs> I knew the DRF, like it was, I knew any book I've ever read. Um, and then they had other stuff where you could, Back then, it was like the charts, you know, the DRF charts. They were on CD-ROMs. And, like, literally, we were selling CD-ROMs of charts uh, out of that office in New York. So uh, it was it was a fun, you know, Steve Christ was actually the boss at that time. Um, and actually, before that, he was my boss. I, I interned at Naira. So the only time I actually worked with Naira was when I was, like, 19. Bill Nader 
was my boss, who's now, of course, went to Hong Kong and now he's with the uh, TOC in California. One of the greatest guys of all time. Um, I worked for him in the basement uh, of Belmont when he was uh, he ran simulcasting at the time. So uh, literally, he's been around a long, long time. And now, as you know, I'm with first uh, my man, Aiden Butler, who is, uh, you know, one of the greatest guys of all time. Smart, passionate. And uh, we have a great, great team over there. So it's I, I'm blessed all, all over. I, I cannot complain about any anything. Um, so Breeders' Cup, because even we were friends and I still I because you were you were behind the scenes. I was always like, well, what, what does Pete do? I know he does a lot with the TV stuff. He does a lot with the marketing. He does a lot with handling the kind of the lifestyle things. What what would describe your, your time at, at Breeders' Cup? Yeah, so I started off doing just the TV, right? So at, at some point, at the beginning of Breeders' Cup, when I was there, and then uh, with the NTRA, there was ESPN was the partner. I mean, there was the road to the Kentucky Derby. Then there was the road to the Breeders' Cup. And at, at some point, many moons ago, we had a show on ESPN or ESPN2 every weekend. I'm, and I mean every weekend from Belmont to Breeders' Cup, uh, except for that two week, three weeks before uh, the event. So I was I was the middleman between the the racetracks, the Breeders Cup. We sold all the advertising. I didn't I wasn't I didn't do that necessarily. Uh, there was a sponsorship team, but I made sure all their stuff got in the show. I worked with all the talent on storylines and the producers and post times, making sure that was all coordinated. So that was like the main gig. And of course, that wound up we wound up doing it. Actually, we we had you know we wound up doing some shows with CBS with uh, and then of course NBC. Um, so I've been I've been connected on that TV side. I was the middleman for for many years under many different series, so to speak, right? And then of course, British was not that big, right? So we had on the PR side, trying to get stories placed on the select. We created the celebrity ambassador program, working with if you liked horses, we'd like, oh, you need to be with us. So you know, from Elizabeth Banks, Bo Derek, Jim Rome, Joe Torre, uh, even like uh, Rob. Um, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. The skateboarder guy, Deer uh, anyway, Yeah, I mean, we, we had a whole crew, and you know, Rashard Lewis, of course. I, the, you know, and the idea was I was the middleman on that as well, trying to get them to promote it social. Um, and then you know, from booking the national anthem singer to being in the TV truck, like it was like an all-encompassing thing. And then when social media, of course, came around, I ran I ran the social, which which I guess, you know, it was almost like a blessing in disguise because it, it, at the end of the day, that's not the most fun gig. It's just hard. It's just like, <laughs> you, just have to, you, gotta feel, you gotta be clever all the time. And like, you can't, you can't just like be matter of fact because then it's kind of boring. Um, yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's funny. I, to, to back up just a little bit, I, I meant to say this earlier and I went to the Breeders' Cup thing. Uh, funny enough, and I know you know this, Mandy Minger, also the first person to ever hire me in racing. No way. Um, oh yes, when I when well, her and, and, and Ken Kirk, her and Ken Kirkner, but right. basically her when she was at DRF when I had my run, my good run at the NHC, and then mm-hmm. like she like signed me up for like a spokesman deal that was like, you know, I was so excited about it at the time, and it was like it was literally, you yeah, know, it is it was not a lot of money at all, <laughs> but it was but it was like it was cool though, like I was like oh dang I'm like I'm in. Yeah, and so she's. I'm. I'm always. Anytime she ever asks me to do anything, she's working with with Hissa now. Anytime she ever asks me to do anything, I just say yes because. Oh yeah. Like I owe her. She's the best. She's the best. Okay. Um, let's 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 pop back in the backyard. Travers. It's Travers week. I'm sure you've been you've been to your handful of of, of Travers. Any 
any Travers stories that, that kind of stick out to you? Yeah, you know, I did the math yesterday. I think I've been to 35 Travers, um, which is insane because they think that I'm that old. But uh, yeah, well, yeah, so it was funny. It's not exactly funny, I guess. 1987, um, Java Gold won the Travers and the slop. Uh, and that morning, there was King's Tavern, which is across the street from Saratoga, used to be Bruno's. Uh, before that, it was something else. But Bruno's at the time it was called and they had, you know, they had a breakfast and they had lunch, they had dinner, whatever. Long story short, I was I was literally choking on a piece of bacon. Like it was it. I couldn't breathe, whatever. My father came behind me and gave me the Heimlich maneuver, got it out. Um, and we went up, we went seven for nine that day. I'll never forget. I was on fire the rest of the day and we hit Java Gold. So it was... Um, Memorable, like because I survived the morning, but uh, we got hot during the day as well. I would say <laughs> that's that's the most memorable Travers in my head. Uh, but you know, I was a big easygoer guy, um, of course, and you know, watching him dominate uh, back then. Um, but there's been so many great races, uh, and again, 99% of them. Well, that's not true. So about 75% of them were in the backyard. But then we had we had the Travers on ESPN and NBC for many years. So I was in the TV truck for a lot of those. Um, and, you know, the memorable one would be the Birdstone one where, you know, it, the thunderstorm came in like it was the end of the world. Lightning, thunder. They ran the race in that in it. And I, you, you thought like every, we were like, we're going to go on off the air here. I mean, like it was so bad. You've lived through them now since you've been on the set. Right. It's the scariest thing in the world. But you're in the TV truck. We're like, what if we get hit by lightning over here? It's going to be crazy. But. Yeah, it's just it's, so, and that Birdstone was so dark, like watching the oh video now. God. Right. Kenny Maine, you know, was my man. He, he was up there. He was like, you know, red, running for his life, so to speak. But uh, this, yeah, it's been, there's so many great memories. You've, you've, I mean, it's, you've been a lot around the, 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 you know, racing and TV for quite some time. I'd imagine it probably gave you a sense of pride. Uh, at least it, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I want to say Haskell weekend. There was at one time on two major networks on Fox and on NBC, horse racing was on. Um, and I thought that was, that was pretty damn cool, you know, to be able to kind of like have be on not, you know, we're not on some, you know, cable channel. You got to flip through. We were on big Fox and big NBC um, at the same time. Yeah, no. And, and listen, I mean, you compare some of these uh, TV ratings and these, um, you know, to other sports, and, you know, they, they, they hold up uh, still to this day. So uh, win, lose, or draw. And, you know, there's an the audience is, is so splintered, right? I mean, you could watch – I could watch the, you know, the uh, simulcast show on, my, every, on your ADW, which, again, if you're hardcore, that's what you're probably doing, right? And then, of course, you can watch it on, on the network or, for you, like, for you guys, you know, you're watching FS1, FS2. This is and on the YouTube, so you've got to add all those numbers together, and the audience is substantial. So yeah, it's uh, it's cool to see them, you know, both literally highlighted on the same day for sure. You uh, you had some seminar experience uh, at Saratoga. <laughs> yeah, so a couple of things. So back in the Harvey Pack used to host what they called the Paddock Club. It was at noon, right next to the paddock, and he bring on guests. Whatever. Before that, there was Brad Thomas, who a lot of people know from Mammoth. And a guy named Mark Siegelab, uh, they used to host the seminar before the seminar. Uh, and long, we used to go all the time, my dad. And my father used to recreate the Travers race call as Fred Capicella's voice. 
And uh, one year I did uh, I did the King's Bishop, which is now the Alan Jerkins, as Trevor, as, at a, as a 12-year-old. And it's funny, people still remember that. I walk around in the backyard, they're like, I remember when you called the race at 12 years old, which is insane because I'm 100. Um, and then our, our good friend Andy Serling, you know, when I was 19, I was in the racetrack program and he hosted the post parade seminar. This was after Mark and Brad's, you know, hit their time there. And after might have been before Harvey could have still been around. This could have been the pre, but it's called the post parade because, you know, that's the name of the program. And I came on with him and I, I will never forget. I went five for nine that day. Exact as, but shockingly was never asked back. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Yeah, and he said, nah, big fella, not today. That's it. 19 oh, years old. Uh, it was uh it was always fun. I mean, just the I just to be involved in any of that it was awesome. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know, it's kind of what it's funny, like that's it's moments like that. I I think that like when you 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 as a young horse player, you kind of have some success and it it's it's so rewarding because you see everyone around you not having success. Or like it just always being a struggle. So when you finally do get the puzzle right, it's a it's a rewarding thing. Like you know, I you know I remember hitting my first try at Lone Star Park, and like I just thought it was the coolest thing, and that that's what made me want to kind of keep trying to to chase that feeling of just being right, you know, and and predicting oh, yeah. this outcome. It was, you know. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I mean, that's you know, that, my 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 one highlight I would say in recent years it was 2019 Kentucky Derby. You know, I would on Facebook. I put out this $100 betting strategy every year for the Triple Crown. And again, if you followed me for the last 10 years, you're probably down, you know, 400, let's say. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, because I'm trying to go for a score here and there. We hit a couple races. We hit like the American Pharaoh Preakness. We hit the, uh, some, of, some, some of those Justify in the Belmont. You know, not, nothing crazy necessarily. But long story short, $100 strategy. I put it up there. And I, I loved, I loved, I liked Country House uh, in that race. And then that bottom line, that $100 strategy turned into 15000 So all my friends who bet maybe once or twice a year, of course, bet it, right? And then I didn't, I had no clue about how, where this thing would go, but they, they send it around to their friends, right? Because they're like, oh, we know what, we got a horse guy, you know, whatever. Long story short, my Venmo started blowing up. People I didn't know started sending me money. Like they were like tipping me, whatever. I was like, and then I was like, oh my God, this must be gone far and wide. And then uh, I got all these screenshots of all these people's accounts, 15, 30, 45, 50. And then one guy literally bet it for a thousand dollars, the strategy. He got back 160,000 and left in a police car, Churchill Downs. Oh my goodness. No joke. So surely you were sweating. Oh my God. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, well, originally when I heard country house claimed foul, I'm like, what? <laughs> he didn't do anything. Right. Flavian Pryor. He claimed foul. I was like, this, there's no, there's nothing to claim foul about. Then they started showing the replays and I was at Churchill that day. And I'm like, Oh my God, he totally can't. He almost, he, Warren Will was almost, you know, knocked him over. I was like, he's coming down. And and then everyone's like, he can't come down. It's the Derby, blah, blah, blah. And, but I was like, but he almost, you know, knocked them over, you know? It was, and it was wild. I mean, it was just like, I hit the exacto, the trifecta, the whole thing. And it was just, it was the most crazy 22 minutes ever. Plus, 
because you knew it was big, obviously, because Country House was such a big price, you know. Did you were you were you were you a winner? Were you a winner the way that it stand with him in second? Yeah, so my backup tickets. It was funny. The hundred dollar strategy was like winner, 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 and then there was the the first or last I had. I always do a first or last was maximum security. So I keyed him over Country House uh, and the other horses that ran in the in the money. So yeah, I was fine. And in fact, Shona had maximum security on top and everything. I still have her tickets here. Uh, so she got DQ'd. I'm like, oh, well, sorry, Sha. But uh, this one was, this one, felt, this one was a little big. So we, we had a, you know, we got through the apologies pretty quick. Oh my God. It's unbelievable. That's, and then the, you know what? Yeah. And then the final part of that story is most, two of my best friends, Mike Lasky and Sonny from Sonny, Sonny Almenta from college, her and her, he, she and Mikey, they literally call me. They're like, we won so much money. We're buying you a dog as a tip. I'm like, what? I was like, we're not giving you any money. We're bringing you a dog. You need a dog. I'm like, so I was showing, I was like, listen, Nick, Lasky will show up with a dog. So get involved. And now we have, of course, Steward S. Inquiry, Stewie, um, because of that trifecta. Oh, my man, Stewie. Yeah. That's so, so good. Like, yeah, it was the gifts that keep on giving. Now, you, so the first time I, you know, is, look, I, I got involved in racing pretty heavy. I, I would say like 2010, you know, eight, 10 fan level, just, you know, whatever got involved. And the first thing, one of the first things that really kind of led to my tournament success was seeing you and, and the others, not all of them and the others actually probably that one the most because I wanted to beat him and I have uh, and I have taken his greatest accomplishment and put it in my pocket as well um horse players mm-hmm. it was I I have been I've got it downloaded we've been I've been telling Jovina because she's never seen it I go you babe, we have to watch this you have to see it you're gonna die when you see the show because now she knows the, she would be able to watch it and enjoy it because she knows all the characters and yep. she knows like the game more how tell me start to finish how horse players came about because we've heard it before right someone's making a, a, a this, this reality show and then they hey yeah. they're gonna they want to talk to you how did it all start how did it all finish yeah so brian Pettigrew, one of the great one of the great guys in our in our industry was my boss for for a while there at the breeders cup um but before he was my boss he he met this production company somewhere along the line and they were coming to the nhc uh they were interested in in creating this uh this series around horse players they didn't know what much how it would all turn out or whatever so they said all right brian can you suggest to mike a few people at the nhc so long story short they mic'd me uh they mic'd uh a couple other uh, you know what it's funny i don't really remember who they mic'd at that at that event uh itself but i was definitely involved and i'm like of course and i sat i'm dad and lee were there and we were sitting with Mike Baychock, who, of course, that was the year he wound up winning a million dollars in the last race by a nose, by one, like one dollar by a nose. And he won a million. Right. That was the most that was the coolest. I and mean, that was all on video. So these guys were like, oh, my God, this is the great. We, we got gold here. Right. I mean, look, this this guy just won a million dollars in the and by a nose in the last race of the contest. Right. So they took it. They pitched it around. They made a sizzle reel, basically, right? Uh, they would go around and they pitched it to um, various networks. 
And then the S it was called the Esquire network was about to launch. It had been the style network, uh, on NBC universal family. And they, they switched it to, uh, Esquire. Esquire said, all right, we're in. In the meantime, I was friendly with the producers of jockeys. Uh, it was called go, go lucky was the name of course, the name, ironically, the name of the production company, this woman named Tina, she was great. She, you know, loved dad and Lee. They, they had shot a sizzle reel for called the saints of Staten Island, which is a whole nother story. Anyway, uh, long story short, they get involved somehow. They wound up becoming the producers of the show. And, uh, and I'm basically trying to coach them along on how, you know, well, what are we going to do? Where, who are we going to follow? How are we going to do this? Because, you know, we're just going to show up at the track and show horse, horse guys betting. I was like, well, there's this thing called the NHC. There's a, there's sort of like a tour where there's like big contests all over the place. I guess, why don't we try follow that? Um, and basically that's how it started. And they cast some people on their own. Obviously I brought team Rotundo to it. Um, and Baychock, I, I talked into doing it. Uh, Matt Bernier, our boy, right? Of course he, he uh, had been at the NHC as one of the youngest guys ever to play in it. So um, he got involved through Keith and, uh, and then they found some other people along the way. So that's really how it all started. And it was, uh, they wound up spending $6 million was the production budget <laughs> for 10 episodes. Uh, and you know, what happened at the end of the rainbow there is unfortunately the production had a way to, they wanted to do it. The network wanted to do it a different way. And there was a constant fighting. And I'm sure this happens all the time. Um, and the show was okay. Like it turned out. Okay. Plus we never won. Nobody won. That was the problem. We lost so much on that show, which was a shame because actually afterwards, Matt wound up winning the contest at Aqueduct. Christian, of course, won some big horse player tournament in Vegas. Uh, Baychock won something. So everybody wound up winning after the fact, but it was too late at that point. They always thought they were going to second season, uh, but it, it never happened um, because, again, the network started to fail anyway, and the production company they just couldn't agree on anything. But really, that was the whole rainbow. And as you know, the NHC at that point, you know, tour went up 40%. and was the interest was through the roof uh, for, for for the tournaments and really kind of kickstarted you know, the horse tourneys of the world and the horseplayers.com and that stuff. So anyway, it was a blast to do it, as you can imagine, be on the road with my dad and Lee. So it was fun. Oh, it's it's a hundred percent why I got involved in contests. Like it's part of my origin story. Like I I I watched the show. I had never I had never played in a contest. I watched the show and then it's just kind of a thing of like, wow, these guys are like playing. Like I wonder if I could compete with these guys. I wonder if I could 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 go to one of these contests and do well and then i got uh for christmas i got pete's book the winning contest player right. read the oh. book they made adw's illegal in texas where if i wanted to play the pick five i had to drive from austin to san antonio to ritama park about an hour each way to play and one day i jumped on on horse or not horse players at the time it was uh what was that i don't even remember what the website was what was, well, the, what was the old BCBC oh, BCBC qualify BC yeah, qualify.com BC, yeah. and I played in a contest mm -hmm. and I qualified for the BCBC in my first attempt to do so. So I'm thinking, wow. Oh, shit, like I can, I can do this. I can <laughs> participate. I can. And then I went 
to the breeze. And then I started playing in the NHC too. I qualified on the NHC for, in that first year. And another story that I think people might forget is I, 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 I got a second entry for the NHC because I ran fourth in a contest on horse players or horse tourneys that gave away three seats. I was fourth. And unfortunately, Ron Rippey passed away. And when he passed away, they gave me that seat, his seat as the second seat that I got, which was the second entry that I brought to the final table that got the attention that I got to get Mandy involved, to start doing the podcast, to start doing all this other stuff that I did that led to what has happened now. That's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It was Ron when Ron Rippey passed. That's how I got the second entry. Yeah. Cause right. Cause they had that, that rule, right. If if that month that person's not there, then they go to the next one. If you happen to have been in Vegas, you were going to get it. Oh my God. That's crazy. I know. I know. I I can't remember if Keith Chandler called me to tell me, or if it was Michelle that told me, but anyways, yeah. So um, it it was, you know, your, your, that part of your career and your life was, was, was an origin um, for me. How, how do you, what do you remember about filming it? Was it, I mean, were you, was it hard? Were you there all day? Did they, you know, did they follow all of you around all day? Like, how was the, how was the filming? Well, of, of yeah, it was, uh, you, know, I, you know, reality TV, right? It was 80% what exactly happened. And then 20%, okay, can you feed us? Can you, can you give us this line here to try to bridge scenes together? Um, there was some scenes that were like, you know, manufactured in the sense that like, and they, and they didn't use some of the really good stuff. I, long story short, I used to go to Gulfstream every summer. I mean, every winter with my dad, right? Uh, I never saw sand. I never saw sand. I was at the hotel to one o'clock, Gulfstream. Hollywood, maybe we go to the dog track or we go to Pompano or we go to Dania Highlight at night, right? There, there was no there was no beach involved, right? Never saw sand in Florida for 10 years, 15 years. So I, I would go, I would always go to Gulfstream. Um, and the uh, part of it, so I, they said, all right, well, we want your dad and Lee on a boat to see if they could fish or something. I'm like, okay, whatever. So long story short, I, I, I have, like they staged this thing where I would call them and say, I was like, you know, all these years I would go to Florida. I never were on the water. I was like, you know, I, I, I resent that, you know, bull, bullshit, whatever. Next thing I was like, go, I was like, you're going, you're going to go, if you want to eat tonight, you're going to have to go fish for your dinner. So my father who can't swim and is afraid of the water, right? And leave, supposedly they had, I mean, I saw the footage, they had on these uh, swimmies and they had on a life jacket, whatever. And they're out there trying to fish. And uh, again, sillies could be priceless stuff, especially if you, if you like them, right? And never made the, never made the airwaves Then they didn't use it. So like, yeah, this is silly. Like, so they, you know, some, some of the character development stuff they could have really do- dove into, which, you know, would have been fun to see the back, but they didn't do that. So, you know, uh, you know, but other than that, I mean, it's, it was fun. Though. I mean, we're in New Orleans together. I mean, legitimately, we went to uh, me, Dad, Lee, and Christian, you know, it was positioned that he was going to take us to um, a voodoo place to get cleansed because we were jinxed. So we went, we wound up at this place, which was kind of weird, right? I mean, legit, I was uncomfortable being there. I mean, I don't know if you could, if you ever watched the scene back, but they're blowing smoke down literally my, my butt crack. Like this girl, she's taking, she's blowing smoke down my ass. And I'm like, 
And I'm like, we got our hands up and we got voodoo dolls and we're like trying to cleanse ourselves from being like losers, essentially, you know, we always lose the photos. And I'm like, what is going on? This is people are going to see this, like whatever. And meanwhile, of course, Lee wounds up qualifying for the NHC the next day, like actually happened. He wounds up getting a huge tattoo on him called Mama Shun. That was the name of the spirit that we prayed to that was supposed to be part of the show. And they never used it. So Lee's got a huge Mama Shun tattoo on him. Uh, <laughs> never made, never made these, never made air because that was the voodoo princess that helped us qualify for the NHC. My my favorite is is Matt Bernier's outfit to the Derby. Oh my God, that was. What do you have? Like he had like a polo and like wind pants or something. <laughs> he had no idea. That was the first time I met him, and we were both on Orb and all that stuff. Right? That was like still part of like this the pilot episode, and uh, he shows up. And I'm all suited up or whatever. And I'm like, what is this this kid? Whatever. But he was so, I'm again, the nice, what a nice guy, right? Obviously, we love him. But he was so, it was so much fun. Uh, but yeah. And then I, to this day, I still have that photo. And at any moment, I have a chance. I send it out. I send it to his producers. I put it out. <laughs> Always comes up Derby Week. That's hilarious. With some of your celebrity run-ins with the Breeders' Cup. I mean, I know, I, I remember, I think, did you, did you get Snoop to do a cameo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was COVID 2020 so um we had all we were doing all these like celebrity at home things where they were gonna give a pick or whatever so you know we had sean uh, seth myers and a lot of those guys from from uh, the office and from uh, a couple of 30 rock and those guys and then i was like there was a the name of the horse was highest power right i'm like we need snoop so i i got in touch with the cameo guys uh at the time 2020 and long story short yeah we sent him a couple of bucks and <laughs> he he uh he did his snoop stuff and i had to write the script for snoop and i'm like how am i gonna how am i gonna channel i have to write something for him to say it's snoop dog like, like, it, me that doesn't make any sense so you know, I just did. Gave him a couple of bullet points <laughs> yeah meanwhile he read it verbatim i was like but of course he put a little and then he he, he did his snoop essence and it was perfect but yeah i mean the, the it's been a it's crazy some of those stories along the way you know um the the coolest the coolest one of them all is elizabeth banks i mean you know listen, she's obviously a super successful actress right but she's also a producer director she her dad loves it right so he comes every year no matter what uh she comes nine you know if it's in california she shows up right and she legitimately bets i mean one year she got she this is before the tax laws change right she was uh you know irs ticket filling out super factor and then the, the funny part i thought 2017 delmar you know she's always the she was always like the first interview on the nbc show which was in prime time at the time and i gotta make sure she gets over there so i'm like all right we gotta go she's like oh my god i lost all my tickets i'm like what do you mean you lost your tickets? she goes i lost them i don't know where they are so she goes i think i left them in the bathroom so literally she runs now it's like i had eight minutes we're to get her there we're on the we're on the other side of the track she finds all of her trifectas on the bathroom floor picks them all up she's like i found them <laughs> i mean the degeneracy of that is tremendous right you gotta you the respect i was like you know what she really cares so uh she's she was super cool along the way i mean there's just there's no doubt and uh you know there's just been a bunch of those stories um, you know, where, where you're just trying to, 
you know, and the goal there with the celeb stuff, right? People are like, oh, it's a waste of time and all this stuff. And well, the idea is that they show up and they share their experience on social, right? I mean, that's the whole point to show them having fun. They're enjoying it. God forbid a new audience gets exposed to something, right? And I've been through, I mean, I've taken a lot of heat or and or indirectly for that whole uh, effort along the way. And I never understood it. I'm like, it's what is wrong? You know, if it's if it's not costing us a lot of money, we're promoting we're you know, we're, we're bringing people to the track. They have an audience. It's just marketing and promotion, you know, so. Well, people are just people are. Well, first of all, people are stupid and people like to complain about shit. And it's it, they just it's mostly because they're pathetic in their own scenario. But the, the thing about it is, is like, look, we love this game for various reasons. Right. You fell in love with it. Uh, it was probably a great time for you to spend with your father. It was a great time for me to spend with my dad. But also it was like, I kind of fell in love with the puzzle and I fell in love with handicapping and the reward of being right and the gambling aspect of it. That's what I fell in love with. And my dad brought me there not to show me that, not to teach me that, but he brought me there. And then I found that on my own. And so right. when you when you do those types of things, when you do the concerts, when you do the giveaways, when you do the the celebrity things, when you do the the the, the social media promotions and the and the and the influencer promotions, what you're trying to do is bring it to the attention of someone who wouldn't have found it, and then you bring them here, and then then they can fall in love with it for all of the organic reasons that we all fell in love with it. But this idea that we're just going to scream at the top of our lungs about how good of a gambling game it is and why you should single a twenty to one shot and a pick six because that's great value. Like that's not bringing people to the game. Sure. Teach them that lesson once they're here, but you got to bring them here first. It makes complete sense to me. And it's bizarre to me that other people. Don't understand. I, you're a thousand percent. I, my opinion, we're on the same hundred. Yeah. We're on the same page. I mean, the idea of the, it's like they would not, you know, it's part of a puzzle. It's a puzzle, which I'm not, you know, there's a lot of work to do. Right. I, it was only so much we could control. Right. I mean, even the marketing guys or the promotional guys, but you know, that, that whole influencer celebrity part is part of the puzzle and it's, it's all it is. It's not the puzzle. It's like TV, right? TV is part of the puzzle. It's not the whole thing. So it's like everybody gets so hung up on one thing because suddenly they read about it. They saw it. Like that's the only thing being done. There's so much going down. Look, for, I mean, now working with first, as you know, what are the two best, most fun events in horse racing? The Pegasus? Yeah, yeah, the Pegasus, Pegasus. yeah it's, they are. I've said that before. From a, from a party standpoint, from a party, enjoy, drink, food, clothing, experience, those two are the best. The best two racing days in racing are Breeders' Cup, Belmont Stakes, Derby. Those days are the best racing days, right? Like, like just wall to wall, grade one races, blah, all that stuff. But there's no place I'd rather be than the Pegasus or the Preakness. It's the, right. it's the most fun events that we have. And like, you, you can you can do both. No, it's, I, it's, it's, exactly. And look, both. the Pegasus had the mo broke all the handle records this year, um, and you know. It, it's like it's it's continues to grow right i mean that's the idea and the preakness i mean listen it didn't this year you know and, and so it happens when you have a seven horse field right um so but the event itself 
my God, it's the most fun. Um, yeah, I listen, there's, there's some issues, right? Obviously, we got to figure out Pimlico and the whole nine yards. But at the end of the day, um, it, it's one of the most fun places you could possibly go. And now Gulfstream, the way they have that set up with the Carousel Club um, and just the vibe in the place on, on Pegasus uh, on Pegasus Day is, is tremendous. But the people yeah. that complain about that stuff, though, those are the type of people that, like, they can't have fun in a setting like that, right? Like they can't, they don't. Right. But it's instance, not like, like you won't, yeah. even I, when we I, were talking about, even when we were talking about like the, the, the celebrity influencer idea, right. Here's the thing is that, you know, I've been, you know, obviously like my wife loves racing, your wife loves racing. And that was independent of us. Like that I didn't, you didn't introduce Shona to racing. I didn't in, inter, introduce Joe Benita to racing. She'd been coming to Saratoga before. So it's easier for me to say, but for someone else who might have a partner that isn't interested, seeing Elizabeth Banks say that she loves racing makes it a little bit easier for a fellow who loves racing, who's trying to introduce his partner to to racing. It's, you know, it's, it's a much better experience for her to get involved than it is taking someone to Turfway Park on a Wednesday in the winter in a walking into a smoky room with 78 guys, you know what I mean? Like that's not, yeah. that doesn't help grow the entire ecosystem of the game. Exactly. And, and listen, as you know, there's a racing office, there's a racing executives that are there in charge of getting the racing, the product, the horses to show up. So it's not like you're sacrificing anything by doing it. It's like, I, that's what I never understood. Even they like, Oh, you know, they're they're spending so much time and effort. No, not really. I mean, it's time and efforts being spent on the whole thing. It's just part of the puzzle. Like it's not it's not the it's not the entire thing. And um, yeah, so you know those those at that point you just have to mute and and you and move on because you know you're trying uh, for the great you know for the greater good. And of course, listen, the wagering aspect, as you know, we're trying to come up with different things every other day from these new wagers or in handicapping contests, the whole nine yards. It's not, it's not like that's left behind. And, and there's other bigger issues out there that are being addressed. Everything's being addressed. Uh, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, no, no one's burying their head in the sand at this point. Yeah. No, the problem is, is that people think they have solutions, but they don't understand that solutions, that the, the easy slam dunk solution they have, that there's levels to this, to this shit. Like you, you, you can't just change takeout overnight. Like you can't just lower takeout. You have to have legitimate conversations with the horsemen so they can understand where the purses are going to go, how that could be affected by that. You have to convince them of that. You've got all the state taxes that you're responsible for. Like I've even talked to certain people about doing a no takeout wager and they're a hundred percent into doing a no takeout wager. But the problem is you still got to pay the state tax. You still got to right. pay the, this fee, the 1% here, the, 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 the there, the, the, the half a percent here. So it's like, it's just, Yes, we need to do some things and I, we're trying to do them, but the ridiculous like impatience of certain folks that don't mm -hmm. understand. Um, and it's, and I mean this in a nice way, but I mean it honestly. It's, they're probably, they probably don't, they're either alone in their life, they don't understand compromise and trying to work through things, or they're, they're very unhappy because they probably do the same thing in their home life saying that this is the way that's going to happen and that's the way it's going to happen. Like you, 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 you got, there's gotta be some, some, some 
you know, some, you got to be political with it sometimes to try to give a little, take a little, take a little, give a little. And, uh, you know, right. yeah, exactly. You're right. I mean, that's, and that's where, you know, and again, it's not, you know, that's the negative part of the, you know, the social aspect of the game. Right. And it's the idea that, you know, nobody's doing anything to when I, we know everyone is doing everything they can. Well, I, and the issues are being looked into and we're trying to figure it out. That's just the bottom line. Um, so anyway, but that, but again, it's, it's, you know, listen, I love this game. Uh, it's the most fun. I got these daughters now. They, they're bringing Rosie to the track and, you know, she loves it. She loves the nays. And I ask her, who do you like in this race? Two, seven, two, seven. She got her own numbers now, two, seven. So it's like, I just wanted to go, go on and I'm going to do everything I can, uh, and push the envelope internally, externally, and ask the tough questions and look, help try to find the answers. <laughs> and it, I mean, that's just the bottom line, especially at this stage in my life. You know, that's what I, I wanted to be here, uh, forever. So that's what I'm going to have to do. You've, you've, you've worked in a lot of different aspects of the game. Um, you know, and obviously you guys are, are working on things behind the scenes that, you know, I don't expect you to, 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 to say, um, you know, cause you gotta, you gotta kind of get balls moving before you can announce certain things, but like what, what, what do you, what, what, what conversation do you wish that you could have with every racing executive and, and, and that they could like really hear you and you could get through to them on that you think would kind of help the greater good of our game? I mean, it's cooperation at the highest level, right? I mean, I think the stake schedule in America, you know, the best horses is just so it's off balance, right? There's too many, there's too many of them. There's not, a, there's, it's just, we need some sort of road. I don't want to say a league necessarily, but it's like, we need, we need a road to, to like promote, like, all right, horses run here, then they run here, then they run here. Now I know and that's, it's going to be, I mean, the trainers dictate a lot of that stuff and obviously the owners, but at the, at the, the core of it is like, let's just try to create some sort of at a high level. I'm, I'm not going to talk about the lower levels. It is what it is. I mean, it's, that's going to work itself out one way or another. We're talking about the high, high end, like as if it was the league, if it was the NFL, like, you know, the best, the best races around the country, let's just organize things a little bit better. Right. I mean, but you know, I've been talking about this a long time. So I just feel like, you know, I don't know. I feel like there is a more, more discussions are happening behind the scenes than, than ever before about cooperation um, and I think we got to get there. I, I think it's going to happen. I and mean, maybe we're forced into it, but um, win, lose, or draw, you know, at the end, if the end of the rainbow is a coordinated schedule of the, the best horses and the best trainers and the best owners and the best jock, you know, running over a period of time. So the betters, how, you know, are confident in the product, that's where we got to go. Um, you know, listen, as far as working with first, right. We start, we have a great events, right. From opening day at Santa Anita to the Preakness, right. You got Florida Derby, you got Fountain of Youth, you got Santa Anita Derby. So, right. So we're, we're sort of creating this first racing tour, right. Uh, from the racing point of view, right. So grouping these races together, put a brand on it. So we could go out and sell it and working with NBC, working with different partners, get it on, you know, uh, to have some exposure, but ultimately we, you know, we have a racetrack in Miami, and in LA, so to speak, uh, we got to, we got to bring that to the next level. 
and everyone's on board with that, right? So that's, you know, that's our, our season. And then of course, Naira's season is from Belmont, you know, through trap through Saratoga, right? It's like, this is not that hard. <laughs> we just got to sit and, and, and figure it out a little bit more, I think. Yeah. And, and the, the hard part about it, I think that some people miss and, and, and look, I, I understand the frustration from the outside. You know, I think we're obviously privy to certain conversations and we hear about deals that are supposed to happen that don't happen or things that could happen that don't happen. Or, you know, we sit at, you sit at tables and, and hear why we can't do this and why you got to do this and what the, so there's a lot of information I think that's out there that you have that others might not have, or that we have. So I understand the frustration, but the problem is, is that like, because we are all independently successful in different ways, we ha- it's hard at times to get people to bend where they feel as if they're giving away something that, 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 that they've earned, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that is where I think a lot of the, of the, of the bumping of the heads comes at times when it comes to certain situations, it's like, you know, Naira can, can, can call Churchill and say, Hey, can you guys start at one because we want to stay off of you and start at one o'clock, but Churchill might have their horsemen who say, no, we don't, we know, or we got to turn the lights on, or we got to, we can't do this because of that. And no, we get, and there's all these reasons behind the scenes, but it just looks like Churchill and I aren't playing nice together. And, yeah. Yeah. and it's unfortunate because you'd like to get to a, play, a place where we, you know, you know, if, if Churchill gives, then, then Naira can then give and then, you know, and vice versa, we can get to a better place, but it's uh, it's the same old story. Everyone's kind of protecting their piece of the pie and, and not always seeing how to make the pie bigger. Yeah, no, that's true. But again, I, I do feel that it's that old loosening up um, more than ever now. Um, and, and, and I think we got a shot at getting there. I really do because, you know, and again, sometimes you're forced into these things, you know, it's just the way the, the way the business goes. So, okay, well, let's, let's adjust. Um, but I, I think the conversations are happening. So um, I'm, I'm uh, optimistic that it's, you know, we're headed in the right direction when it comes to, and to that, and in that front, basically. Well, I also think that like, you know, I think that, I think that there's a place, there's a place for uh, people with legal backgrounds to run racetracks and run, you know, and, and to kind of be decision makers at different racing entities. I think there's a place for finance folks to be involved involved in in, 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 in running entities and, and, and things of that nature, whether it be ADWs or or, or, or or racetracks or television or whatever it might be. But I do think there has been a shift as of late where there's a lot more creatives that are finding mm-hmm. themselves in position of, de- of decision making, because this is not a knock towards finance folks or towards towards uh towards legal types but you're you know there's 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 walls that are put up and the same for 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 creatives right like you and i can come up with all these damn ideas and have no idea how illegal they are do you know what i'm saying and like and because our brains don't go to that point and i think the same can be said the other way and i think we're getting a bigger mixture of those decision makers where we can have some prominent marketing people some market some creative people some some doers some legal some finance to really help us come up with better ideas and concepts to help elevate the game. And, and, and I think that's to your point, that's part of how I think things are kind of loosening up a little bit. Yeah. I'm with you. And at the end of the day, you know, you look at other sports, the idea that major league baseball actually has essentially a shot clock. I mean, 
Like, what? How could? And your wildest dreams? Did you ever think you'd see that? I mean, for the picture, it's, right? No, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> and to it me. worked, and everybody loves it. And, you know, and everything sped up, and now it's like they're having a resurgence. And it's like every sport changes. There's tweaks here and there, from NFL schedule to major league to you know um, baseball. I mean, every the rules change, and then sometimes in racing, you're like, we can't do that. How could you move the dates of the triple crown? <laughs> like, all right, calm down. I mean, like everything changes and you have to adapt. So um, again, I think it's going to happen. Uh, I think, and it's happening. Um, it's happening behind the scenes, I think. So, well, well, you know, I'm optimistic along the way. Yeah, no, I am too. And I think that like, I think that's a good point. Like other sports, you know, like really making adjustments, you know, but the protecting of the quarterback where I think a lot of people in the old days would be like, well, that's what makes the game so good hitting defenseless receivers. No, but the game's not good when Tom Brady's sitting down. It's not a right. good game when, when right. you know, Justin Jefferson has uh, got a concussion. He's out for three days, three games. You know, and I think that, I think that you, know, I, you know, I can think of those examples in racing too, right? It's like, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, we don't, it's, it doesn't make any sense for, for us, for, 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 you know, track so-and-so to run on top of Santa Anita or track so-and-so to run on top of Oakland Park. Or track right. so and so to run on top of Naira. It doesn't. It's it's silly, and like you know. Well, that's just wills what we do. No, let's let's <laughs> you know let's continue yeah. to to try to adjust it a little bit. Exactly. Uh, Pete, what's uh what what do you what do you got? Do you, what's your what's your Travers Travers plan? Do you have, do you have, do you like a horse yet? That's another thing I was gonna get you on before you left. I look. You know, it's funny. Before you know, this morning I was looking at the at the field, and I'm like. I can, I hate to hate to be like that. I, mean, I can make a case. I can make a case for any of them, right? Um, I. It's, you know, I mean, Forte. You know, he runs every time, and he runs. It's you know, I haven't seen that in a while. Every single race is like, he he runs his eyeballs out, right? And um, he had that trip in the in the gym dandy, but I mean, really, he was tucked in there and then came out a little, right? So the idea is. I don't think that took much out of him. You know, Mage was clearly prepping in the uh, in the Haskell. Archangel has been working a lights out, right? I mean, working like a monster. And then you got to throw Scotland in the mix and National Treasure coming in. I mean, <laughs> I you know, I got to see them PPs and I got to see, I don't really care about the draw necessarily, just see it in front of me. But I mean, do you think we're going to have a, finally we're going to have like a pace hookup here with, National Treasure and uh, Scotland. Do you think you think National Treasure gets free? Yeah, no, I think that they're gonna. I think that they'll be forward. I think the pace will be honest enough. Even if one of them ends up kind of loose, I still I don't think they're gonna walk the dog on the front end. I think that there'll be a, an honest enough pace in here. And I mean, you know, I was talking about it with with Pete Fornatel. I mean, it's pretty damn cool. It's a cool field, right? It's got the yeah. you got the you got the Derby winner, the Preakness winner, the Belmont winner. You got the Curlin winner. You got the Jim Dandy winner. You got the two-year-old champion, and you got the horse that was the morning line morning line favorite for the Kentucky Derby. Like, that's a pretty damn good field. Yeah, a thousand percent. It's like, what else do you want, right? Yeah, exactly. No, it's perfect. I feel like, and I can't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm gonna going to blank on it. But re, in recent years, there was one Travers recently where you had all three, but I can't remember which one it was. I again, I you know. So what do you think? I, I really am confused at the moment. I want to say, oh, yeah, this one jumps off the page. Um, but I, I just don't. I don't have it in me yet. I 
I leading into the Kentucky, a lot of times in my handicap opinions, I will, I use my old opinion and build off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, and that's, you have to, you, I mean, you have to trust yourself to do that. You, you know, you, you, you can't be wishwashy. You can't be too, um, you can't be too results oriented and you, you can't let hindsight throw you off too much. You have to just kind of believe that your opinion you had was a good one and build off of it. I thought Forte was going to be the Derby winner. And my biggest hesitation was that he wasn't quite fast enough, but I felt like he was classy enough. And in the right setting, he would jump that triple digit buyer hurdle when the race he was in kind of dictated it. He was never going to really do that by himself. So when Mage came back and won the Derby, it made me feel more comfortable that that Florida Derby figure that was low actually could be a little bit better because Mage came back and won the Derby and did it pretty impressively albeit with a setup. Mm-hmm. Then Forte comes back and shows me that class again off a, you know, a, whatever, an eight week break it was leading up to, uh, or maybe even longer than that nine week break that it was leading up to the Belmont. And then he finally did what I needed him to do in triple digit buyer in the gym dandy after adding blinkers. Now I think it's all put together. He's the best horse. He's the fastest horse. And I think he'll win the Travers. There you go. There you go. That makes sense. Again, like that's the perfect setup there, right? And that that's exactly makes a ton of sense. Pete, I mean, it's been it's 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 uh it's been awesome. We got it. I you know, there's a couple of guests that I have that like, you can have them like once because it's like okay, like you tell your whole story, that's your story. Great talking to you. See you next week. But there is some guests that I've had. You being one of them, I think I can have more than once. I can have to talk about things that come up, talk about uh, new initiatives, talk about new announcements and things that you guys are doing at first, but then also to, uh, you know, you've got, you've got plenty of stories that, that we still probably could tap into with your time at Breeders' Cup, some of the big horses you were able to be around, and, uh, and, and we'll definitely have you again without a doubt. All right. Well, I appreciate it. This was fun. I was, uh, that hour flew by. That was awesome. Thanks. All right. Well, good luck this weekend and uh, get hot. All right. Stay hot. I appreciate you taking the time. He's got uh, he's got Stewie S inquiry running around. He's got Rosie. He's got Sienna. He's got a full house. So uh, let him get back to work out here on his dark day, getting ready uh, for Travers Week. I want to thank uh, Qatar Racing again for their support. Looking forward to seeing some of their runners. Uh, see where Caravel shows back in. Look, I we had, I don't know if we even talked about it. I, I'm I'm confident she didn't appreciate that ground uh, that she saw in the Troy. She was bobbling in the stretch. They almost were going to scratch her. They wanted to run her on firm ground. She'll get that firm ground, I believe, in her next start, uh, probably at Keeneland, I would think. And uh, hopefully it'll be firm then. And even if it's not firm then, it will be firm in California. It might be a great opportunity to get back on Caravelle. I want to thank everyone at In The Money Media, PTF, Drew, the rest of the team. And uh, it's Travers Week. So you've got some handicapping to do. I've got some handicapping to do. We'll see you next week. I need to know everything. Who in the what in the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche, a five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for ghosts to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk.